HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, this is Marion Nessel. I'm the Paulette Goddard Professor of Nutrition, Food Studies, and Public Health at New York University and a longtime fan of Heritage Radio. Like Marion, you too can support Heritage Radio Network, a member-based nonprofit radio station operating out of Bushwick, Brooklyn. I've been on it countless times. I love being interviewed. The interviewers are always really well prepared and fun to talk to about the issues that matter to me the most, uh, about how we can change our food system to one that's healthier for people and the environment. It's just invaluable to have an independent radio station that's dealing with these issues. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful asset. Support Heritage Radio Network by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Today's program is brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. Greenhorns, this is Greenhorns Radio. This is a short radio because we are running behind schedule, but I am very happy to have on the show today uh, Brendan Rocky, who is a third-generation farmer from Center, Colorado, who's been transitioning his family's potato farm over from synthetic fertilizer and pesticides to a whole system management program and focusing on soil health. Uh, welcome to the show, Rocky, and uh, sorry, Brendan, and thank you. Do people call you Rocky? Well, I mean, that's the last name, so there's a lot of Rockies running around, so it gets a little confusing. Um, uh, thank you for your work in, um, in potatoes. Can you give a little context of um, the valley in which you farm and what's going on there and, and kind of the scene? Yeah, we're a high desert valley, a lot of potato production here. So this, most of the potatoes grown in Colorado come from this area. So we're a really high altitude, 7,600 feet. Um, we are technically a desert because we get less than six inches of annual precipitation, so everything is irrigated. And the, the, our water source comes from an aquifer that comes beneath us. So due to the, the spring runoff from the snowpack, that's what recharges the aquifer, and then we pump from there. So it's really a, a nice... Con- 
area for growing potatoes because we are pretty arid, so we don't have to deal with a lot of the foliar diseases, uh, good sandy soil so we get good drainage, and we just don't have a lot of the pest issues because of the high altitude. So it's a pretty short growing season, but it's usually a really good growing season for potatoes. And so um, I know that there's, um, in Aroostook County in Maine and in Idaho, there's infrastructure for uh, processing and export of potatoes and that there's been a lot of work to put in the infrastructure that's needed for the organic potatoes. Um, yeah. Can you talk about what exists in your valley and how that has come to be? Yeah, we've got a lot of packaging sheds right here in the valley. Uh, most of the potatoes grown here are for fresh produce, so they're getting shipped to grocery stores. You know, a lot of the 5, 10-pound bags you see come from the San Luis Valley. So not a lot of processing uh, potatoes that come from here. And we do grow a little bit of certified seed as well. So we did partner up a few years back with another farm, and we are part owners of our own packaging shed as well, and we've been pursuing organic more and more. Even though our farm isn't certified organic, that is something we've been packaging quite a bit through our warehouse because it is a growing market for sure. Awesome. Well, you're, it sounds like you're going to be in a good position. Holy smokes. So let's talk about the soil um, that you inherited and the soil that you have now and what it took, what it took, and the, but the qualities that you're observing um, in, in, in this renewed health. Well, yeah, the thing is we haven't really increased uh, the quantity of the crop necessarily, but the quality of the crop has definitely improved. A lot less soil-borne diseases, pathogens, anything that might make the potatoes less marketable. We've seen a decrease in all that, a decrease in nematode uh, pests. And just the, the overall quality is much better. But they also the other thing that's come along with taking care of the soil is just our input costs have drastically dropped off. So there's more than one way to make more money by growing potatoes. You can either grow more of them and so they have more to sell, or you can spend less money to grow the same crop. So what we've done is we've really kind of eliminated a lot of the expenses from our operation, really focused on the soil. And by doing that, anything we add to the system now is an investment in the soil for the future potato crops. And um, and so have you been doing monitoring or um, getting involved with this whole San Juan Valley Soil Health Initiative or tuning into the, the trainings and principles um, that are being discussed in the valley? Uh, yeah, we've definitely been one of the leaders in soil health here in the San Luis Valley, and I still I pull soil samples. That we do we are very observant of what's going on in, in our farm. And another thing that's nice is we do grow certified seeds, so spread of virus through green peach aphid is definitely a concern for us. So we've taken a completely different approach for controlling the aphid population. Instead of going out there and trying to kill the aphid, now we plant a lot of diverse crops within our potatoes with a lot of flowers that create habitat for the beneficial insects, and that allows us to keep the pest populations in check. And we know this system is successful because we're, we continually grow clean seed every single year. So that is a good indicator to us that we are doing a really good job of controlling that pest. So let's talk about, I'm, I'm really up, excited about beneficial insects right now because we've been talking a lot about the spraying, uh, mandatory spraying that's going on in Southern California. Um, where are you getting your information and, um, and what are the kind of relative costs to switch, when, you're, when you're switching systems from a annihilate them all with poison system to the create habitat for a complex orchestra of multitrophic insect life systems. Um, between those two systems, there's uh, a lot of decisions. Can you talk about 
some of the research and where the information came in your process? Yeah, well, it really doesn't cost any more to take this approach. It just really takes a commitment. Um, I think where a lot of people run into trouble is they think, you know, they, they think they can go out there and just release beneficial insects and they should do the job. But that's where the fallacy is. It's really about creating the habitat because the beneficial insects are already there. So let's instead focus on creating the habitat where they can reproduce and disperse through the field and do, the, do a really good job for us. So there's a lot of farmers that I've learned from out there implementing these practices on their own farm. Um, up in North Dakota, Jay Fears doing a lot of work out uh, on the Minokan farm with a lot of polycultures, diverse crops, and really seeing a, a decrease in these pest insects by having the beneficial insects out there. Uh, Jonathan Lundgren's been a really another really big influence on me as far as the beneficial insects and really talking about the importance of not only flowering crops within your system, but also the diversity within that. Because the only way to have diverse uh, predatory insects is to have the diverse habitat for each of them. So you want lots of different flowers that are blooming at different times, and they all have different nutritional value too. So we're extending the window in which we're supporting that beneficial insect population, but also really encouraging the diversity and the health of those beneficial insects. Well, it's amazing um, how beautiful potatoes are when they flower, and I can only imagine what it must be like to have flowers all year long. Yeah, well, that's what's nice, too, is just we, we don't have a monoculture anywhere on our farm. And at first, when people see that system, you know, we've been taught that you want this sterile crop out there, the monoculture, your cash crop should be the only thing out there. So it's really kind of a different mindset when you start bringing in companioning crops and flowering strips. And at first, it, it, looks, it looks like a messy crop out there. There's something else going on besides the cash crop. But once you really understand what's going on and go take a closer look at it and really appreciate what it's doing, it's one of the prettiest things you'll ever see. And what gave you the nerve to take this change and to make these moves? Well, uh, it really came from the generation in, in front of me. My uncle really wanted to make some changes. He was getting tired of using the synthetic fertilizers and the chemicals and wanted to start taking a different approach. Um, we didn't have a real strong support network at the time, so we did, it really kind of was a leap of faith, and we had to learn a lot on our own. But now that we've learned enough on our own, we've created this successful system. We are seeing great things happening from this. It's all been very positive. And now soil health is really, as a, as a nation, has really taken on this strong movement, and, it, and I've created a really strong network. So now I'm able to learn a lot from people all over the country. They may be, not even be growing potatoes. You know, they're in completely different regions. But really the fundamentals always come back to the same thing, you know, getting away from those synthetic fertilizers, bringing diversity back into these operations. When you focus on those core fundamentals, no matter what crop you're growing and where you're growing them, if you bring those in, I've seen a lot of positive impact come from that in all of these different systems. Well, and of course, our soil, as goes our soil, so goes our civilization, and um seems like this is work that has a large territory in which to grow. Um, such a large percentage of our soils are degraded, um, and such a large percentage of our crops are grown um, in aquifers and on soils that are um, in in jeopardy. So it seems like our work is cut out for us. I'm coming up there to the valley to come and um, visit with and film some grazers who are coming down onto the croplands there, grazing okay. grazing on irrigated land and helping soil health with animal impacts. So yeah, and we've been doing that as well with our green manure crops. We rotate our potato crop with a green manure crop, 
And that was a great addition when we first started doing that. And then we've taken it to that next step as well and brought animals in as well on those green manure crops to enhance the biological activity even further. So that's what we found is any time that we can bring another living component into the system, it makes the system stronger as a whole. So the further we keep moving along, we add all these components, and we're seeing benefits that we never even thought about. You know, they weren't necessarily these goals that we were chasing, but this system keeps thriving and building upon itself, and it really keeps functioning even better year after year. And your website is www.soilguys.com. So it sounds like if people in other com communities or with other crop systems are interested to learn more, that they can they re reach out to you and um, get informed, and especially people who are stepping into generational farm situations um, and noticing the decline of health or reflecting on how to make the system pay for them <laughs> another, another salary on the farm. Um, it seems like the the vision that you are putting forward is super relevant to a lot of people. Yeah, well, I've been really fortunate. I've come across a lot of really influential people at the right time in my life, and I just feel like it's kind of my turn to return the favor and educate others and help them along this path as well. Because, like I said, I've seen nothing but positives come from it. And, um Brendan, thank you so much for your time. I hope I get to meet you when I'm up in the valley, and I... Um, Thank you for your incredible work. Happy spring. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye, Bye. everybody. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.